We have been doing an exposition of Isaiah 51, just a few verses. And I finished off by reading Ephesians 1 verse 20 to 23 for you. And it is important that you do not only see Jesus hanging on the cross. You do not only see Jesus rising from the dead. And you do not only see Jesus ascending to heaven. You must also see him seated. So Jesus is seated in heavenly places and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the right hand speaks of authority, speaks of power, speaks of fellowship, it speaks of dominion, it speaks of God's hand being over your life, it also speaks of grace that can come to you. So there's a perspective of these different dimensions that I mentioned that comes to you because you see Jesus from the ascended position. Now, from the ascended position, you look onto the earth and you are able to see from the heavenlies what is happening on the earth. That is called an eternal perspective. Now, positionally you are on the earth, but spiritually you are in the heavens. You are seated with him. And you are seated also at the right hand of the Father. What does it take you to see that? It takes a Stephen posture. What did Stephen see in the midst of persecution and stoning? He said, I see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, when he saw that, what were his words over his persecutors? He said, Father, forgive them. Now, you see, if you haven't got a perspective of the seated position, forgiveness will be forced upon you. But when you see the finished work of what was accomplished in Christ for you, forgiveness becomes something that is a part of your DNA. So it's 70 times 7. That's 10 jubilees. Or oh, you miss something. That means your freedom is dependent upon you releasing forgiveness and also receiving forgiveness. Some people are bitter. And I, I know Pastor Justin did a series on bitterness in your church. Some people are bitter because they have not come to the place of releasing forgiveness. And what they don't know is they have imprisoned themselves and that's called lack of sight. It's the inability to see that if you maintain that position of unforgiveness, you are in prison. You are not free. Okay? Uh, but if you call me back, I'll talk more about that. Now, Isaiah saw the Lord seated on the throne in Isaiah 6 verse 1. David was divinely inspired in Psalms 110. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So it is imperative that you see that seated position. The seated position is also one of rest. It is a place where we as sons of God are meant to enter into that rest. 
as Hebrews 4 talks about. You've got to know what will not allow you to enter into the rest. It's called unbelief. As was in the case of the Israelites or the Hebrew people at that time, that they did not enter into the rest because of unbelief. Because they did not believe the word that was spoken to them and therefore they could not enter into that rest. So, here's the thing. Rest is equalized. It's not given to some and not given to others. It's given to the one who believes. So everyone has the same, op it's called equal opportunity. We all have the same equal opportunity to enter into rest. So you must be, you might be wondering, why are some people in rest? And when I say rest, they're not going for massages and holidays every week. That means they can be facing the storm, but sleeping on the pillow. That's rest. Why do they have that ability to handle such challenges in their lives just by functioning from this place called rest is because they have believed the word. They have allowed the word to bring them to a place of where they have entered into rest. So the seated position is a very, very powerful position and I'm not going to go too much into that this morning. Now, before prophets could be called prophets. They were first called seers. 1 Samuel 9 verse 8, we all know the story of Saul was looking for his donkeys, and so the servant said, listen, there is a prophet here, a man of God that will tell us our way. And so the servant answered Saul again and said, look, I have here at one fourth of a shekel of silver, I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Verse 9, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Here's the thing. Prophecies don't unfold until you see. So you can hear something. You can write it down. And you can shelve it. But until you see it, until you receive a perspective of what was said, that means you made the word flesh in your mind. Then only it starts to unfold. Every prophet was asked, what do you see? Jeremiah was asked, what do you see? Amos was asked, what do you see? Zechariah was asked, what do you see? Isaiah was asked, what do you see? So, you are the generation that has come out of Christ called the 42nd generation. What do you see? Firstly, what do you see about yourself? So, if you look from the ascended position, what do you see? I see the Son of God seated at the right hand of the Father. So, what do you see about yourself? You must see yourself seated in that position as the Son of God on the right hand of the Father. Now, when you have that perspective, you know what's available to you. Oh, you must, you must what I said. So, if you're seated at the right hand of God, what is available to you? If Jesus Christ is seated on the throne, what is available to me? Because everything on the earth is under the sight of God, even the good and even the evil. He has foresight over all things. He has insight over all things. And you are seated with him in heavenly places. The problem is when we face challenges, 
we, we think, or rather we firstly feel emotionally, we think naturally, and we want to handle those challenges from a natural perspective, and the verse we use is first the natural. But if you don't see from the ascended position, then you'll see a wife, you won't see a son of God. You'll see your spouse as just someone that's there to procreate. What is the purpose of marriage? Is to reflect the mystical union of Christ and the church. But now, how do you get that perspective? You've got to see it from the ascended. What is the perspective that you receive about money? How would you see money? How would you handle money? How would you steward it? How would you distribute it? How would you uh, make sure that it has a legacy? Just money. Because money has this powerful ability to show you how corrupt you are. It will prove to you that you are flesh. Money has a power to do that. Go and watch this wonderful documentary called How I Blew It. Go and watch it. Of people who got payments from the RAF road accident fund. That's not a political party. <laughs> and uh, from the lotto. And go and see what they did. Because of lack of perspective. Now for us who are in the kingdom of God, it is a sin. <laughs> to be a manager or a steward of the wealth of God. And you will be called up for judgment. Because you are unjust with that which God gave you. That's why the least is called mammon. If you are faithful with the least, read the context. The least is mammon. The least is money. The least is the wealth of this world. How can I give you true riches? It's because of lack of insight. Lack of perspective. You can't see from the ascended position about why God gives you money. Why would God give you money? Why would God give you money? If he gave you a million rand today and he made it possible for you to receive it, whichever way he does it, why would he give it to you? You can be trusting God for a lot of things, but can he trust you? That's the question. Why would he bless you with 10 million? Why does he bless other pastors with 10 million, 20 million, 100 million? Why does he do that? Because he probably found someone worthy. So some of the struggles that we face is because we do not see our lives from the ascended position, from the finished work, from the seated position. And when you have that perspective of the right hand, God is able to move and shift anything in your life because he finds you worthy. Now, Abraham was told in Genesis 12, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to the land I will show you. And he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And all the families, and he knew rather, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Now, the promise is made to Abraham. The promise is available to us in Christ because we are also the sons of Abraham as heirs of the promise in Christ Jesus. So that God can also make your name great. He can also make you a blessing. And in you, the nations of the earth can be blessed. But you must go to the land that I will show you. So that takes sight. You've got to be able to know where's the land that God wants to take us. Now he didn't tell him, listen, this just punches in here, yeah, GPS, and this is how you'll get there. He didn't say that to him. He said, leave every sentimental connection you have ever known in your life. I will show you the land. So here's a question. What is the hindrance to sight? Why can some people see and others can't? Yes, God can blind you. Yes, in his sovereignty, he decides whose eyes to open and whose eyes to close. There's some things he tells other people and he hides from other people and there's other, others that he shows them certain things. And I like what Dr. Segi said on Thursday. He said, God hides things from you because he wants you to learn it from your brother. Oh, I tell you, it was a seller moment for me when I heard the statement. That means God has a way of breaking your pride. So he doesn't tell you everything. Can you imagine that Joseph was alive for over 13 years? Jacob had powerful encounters with God. But silence. Silence about his son. Because he believed a lie. He believed that his son was dead. Am I right? Yes. But you know when Joseph had the dream and he told it to his father, the Bible says, and Jacob kept it in his heart. So within Joseph, there was still a belief that what my son said to me in the dream is still possible. Even though all that time, he did not know what was the end result of his son's life. And God did not tell him. Isn't that perplexing? That God would not tell him that your son is alive. All that time, silence. Now this is the sovereignty of God. He can hide things from you. He can keep things away from us. He doesn't tell us everything. Even though when we, when we read verses like, I will not hide what I am doing from Abraham. And I say to God, man, I want a relationship like that. That you, that you must not hide from us what you are doing. That I will not hide what I'm going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not going to hide from you what I'm going to do in Bree Street. I'm not going to hide from you what I'm going to do in Ukraine. I'm not going to hide from you what I'm doing in Israel or wherever it is in the earth. Because as sons of Abraham, we have the right to know. But there are times where God doesn't reveal those things. Why? Because it is sovereign will. You can have a hearing ear and not hear. You can have a seeing eye and not see. So God doesn't tell you everything. But at the same time, there are certain things that will hinder your sight. That means there are certain things that blocks the view, doesn't give you the ability to see what God wants to do. Now, number one, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord. I'll repeat. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord. What was the hindrance? Uzziah. Now what does that mean? You see, Uzziah was a good king when he started out. In fact, he was, he was very inventive. He was very witty. He had one of the best armies. He had come up with powerful weaponry. He had developed different systems within his army. And you can go and read it. That it will tell you about all the things that he invented. And he grew and he became powerful and mighty. And then the Bible will tell you that pride filled his heart. To the point of where he believed that he could do the priest's job. So he went into the temple to go and offer incense. And he took the censer to go and offer the incense. And the priest, you know, warned him that this is not what you should do. And the Bible says that he did not listen. He forced his way through and he became leprous. And he became leprous to the point of where for the rest of his life he was isolated. Here's the point. Leadership can hinder your sight. What kind of leadership? Leprous leadership. Leprous leadership causes isolation. Causes independence. Causes you to live a monastic life. Causes you to be isolated from everyone. What you don't know is that you are joining a cult. Leprosy is basically the word is unclean. And for you to become clean, there's a very, very rigorous process. Which you can read about in the book of Leviticus chapter 13, I think it is. So, leprous leadership is unclean leadership. And uncleanness in the eyes of God has several characteristics. But you got to discern whether the leader you are under is unclean. Because your sight will be hindered. And your sight is this. You won't see the Lord, you'll only see the leader. <laughs> if there's any leader that's not pointing you to Christ, that's an unclean leader. He's pointing you only to themselves, branding themselves, promoting themselves. Anything is just about themselves. Then you are following someone who is going to blind you from your ascended position and make you believe that whatever you need can only come through them. Be careful. You can have leprous leadership that can instill fear in you and fear is the spirit of witchcraft that will come to traumatize you, to make you believe that you are cursed. No, you, you can't curse God's people. They're too powerful to be cursed. Ask Balak, he'll tell you that. Or rather Balaam. You can't curse them. Because Jesus didn't die so you can be cursed. No, no, he died so that the curse will be broken. Oh, but you can live under a curse. That's different. And you got to know what a curse is. You got to know whether my life is under, under a curse when you've got recurring problems, when you're facing rejection all your life, when there's shortage, exploitation, when there's disease, sickness coming over you. You're not supposed to be sickly and have continuous disease over your life. You're supposed to have an abundance where your cup is overflowing. That means there's always something left over. Why? Because the curse is, everyone say broken. broken. If it's not, there's a way to break it. 
So if you got more month at the end of your money, you should be asking yourself some questions. Why? Because the curse can be broken when there's a joining of fathers and sons. Okay? When you are part of a family, where you are part of a family where there's a father that will bring grace into your life to show you how to break the curse. Okay? If you invite me for another conference, we'll, we'll call it Break the Curse Conference. I tell you the whole of Sentinel will be here. Now, if you consider what hinders our sight, I'll give you number one, it's leprous leadership that can hinder you from seeing. I'm going to go quick because, because of time. Second one is, you can have a veil covering your eyes. The veil's name is Lot. Lot was the nephew of Abraham, whom he actually received as his son. He took care of him as his son. But the word Lot or the name Lot means veil. It means to cover you. So, while Lot was with Abraham, even though Abraham had the prophetic word, the fulfillment of it was being hindered by a veil. And this veil was called sentimentalism. Don't ever get familiar with your pastor. No, no, don't. That's very dangerous. Don't get sentimental with your pastor. Yes, you can joke with them. Hello, how are you? Hug, kiss, whatever you, if you'll do the kissing thing. But there's a line you don't cross. No, you don't, don't cross that line. Don't think about the joke and the braai and the chops you ate. And then when you come Sunday morning, you say, Pastor, the braai was nice last night. Eh? No, no. Close your mouth and listen to the word of God. Because once you start getting sentimental, there's a veil that's going to start coming over you. Now, Lot had all the benefits of a son. All the benefits. In fact, Abraham took him as his own son. And I believe it was a seed that Abraham sowed. That's my opinion. That because he took care of another man's son, God gave him his own son. If you are faithful with that belongs to another man, God will give you your own. So he took his brother's son and he looked after him, he took care of him, he gave him all the rights of a son in his house and he got Isaac. But the sentimental, emotional attachments in our lives, oh, they can veil you. So, when Lot separated, according to Genesis 13, there's a verse there, what does it say? Lift up your eyes. Immediately, immediately after Lot separated from him, lift up your eyes, look to the north, south, east, west. That means stand on the mountain, get a peripheral view, any direction you look, I'm going to give you this land. So, there can be a veil over you because of these kinds of relationships, associations that can blind you. Sometimes it can be your friends. Sometimes it can be your work colleagues. Sometimes it can be people you spend time with in the church. They can cast a veil over your eye. 
While a pastor is your friend, his primary function is there to feed you. To feed you. There's a 2,000 cubit distance you always keep between the priests and the people. In the book of Joshua, before they crossed over to engage the promised land, the ark of God was carried on the shoulders of the priests. The 12 stones were picked up as a memorial and put on the other side. But God clearly gave instruction. He said, listen, the people must stay at a 2,000 cubit distance between the priests and the people. Why did God say that? Because someone would decide to touch the ark. And just go and ask Uzzah about that. When you see him one day, ask him, tell me, why did you do that? What got into your mind to make you think that you needed to help at that moment? So, if you keep that distance, it is not that there is a clergy-laity distinction. No, it's not about that. It's about you not losing sight of who God sent to lead you. That's what it's about. Now, lots of people cross that boundary. And when you cross that boundary, you, you're engaging dangerous territory. Don't lose your sight because of sentimentalism, of wrong associations, because a veil can be cast over you. Remember, Lot saw the struggles of Abraham. He walked with him. And now he came to a point where they were almost equal in wealth. And there was this disagreements between Lot's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Abraham. Now here's another thing. People don't disagree with the pastor. They disagree with each other. And they'll tell you, no, pastor, I'm leaving this church because the people in this church, they don't love me. They don't greet me. They don't talk to me. Hey, is something wrong with you? Who are you that we must come and greet you? Why didn't you come and greet me? I can ask you that. Pastor, you don't give me anything to do in this church. So I'm leaving. And oftentimes, we have disagreements with other people in the church. That is not a legitimate reason to leave the church. No. You'll become a vagabond. Moving from house to house, you end up in a rebellious place, a dry place. So, when you connect to a servant of the Lord, don't let the people interfere with your covenantal relationship. You're losing sight. Okay? Don't let herdsmen Sheep and sheep must talk. Don't let it interfere with your relationship with the father of the house. If anything, you're supposed to defend. Be loyal. Take sides. Oh, you must take sides. Let's not get into loyalty now. I'll become a captain. 
So why can't we see? Because of association? Because of leprous leadership? The third one is 2 Kings 6 verse 15. We all know the story about the situation that was in Samaria that was besieged and Elisha was in the city and he said by this time tomorrow things are going to change. But before that, his servant was looking at the Syrian army that had surrounded them. And Elisha said to the servant in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. Now, they are in battle array. The horse and the chariot is a symbol of war. They are ready to attack the city. They are ready to besiege the city. So in the natural, he saw horses and chariots. His servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Legitimate? Yes? So he answered, this means Elisha answered, Do not fear. What paralyzes your sight? Fear. Now, you see, when we say fear, we only think about it in security context. Like if someone is attacking your house, if someone is being abusive towards you, you think about fear in a context that has to do with your safety and your security. And in this case, it's the same situation. The guy is thinking about his safety and security. So he's absolutely fearful. But Elisha is telling him, do not fear. And then he says something else to him in verse number 16. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. That means Elisha already saw it. You got to get it now. You got to get it. You got to get it. So this is how it works. This is how faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing what? So when your pastor comes to preach on Sunday, he already saw it. You hearing the word, what do you need? Faith. When you hear the word, you get faith. Then you see what the pastor saw. So, faith is coming to you as you are listening to the word. But the thing that paralyzes the faith is your fear. Fear to change. Fear to do, take risks. Fear to go beyond the norm. Fear to go beyond your capacity. But the word is there and faith is coming to you and faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. But how can they hear without a preacher? How beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So you've got to know the context. You've got to know the context. So that means the Elishas of our life have seen it already and when they are preaching, faith opens your eyes. That you are able to see what they saw. And now he's saying, let him see. Open his eyes. Let him see. Even as Pastor Justin prayed this morning. Lord, let their eyes be open in the breaking of bread, which is the word of God. So when the word of God is broken, your eyes are opened. Open. And you can see that more that are with you than those who are against you. Now, what did the servant see? He saw 
horses and chariots. And in the natural, you can see it. It's all there. You're looking at it. You can see it. They're ready to attack you. But Elisha had this experience. So, for you to see what your father has seen, he has already been somewhere. And what did he see? He saw Elisha being taken up. And he said, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel. And who is Elijah? He is Elijah who is to come. So what did Elisha see when he's trying to explain to the servant? He said, hey, this is a replay of something I saw before. But I know someone who's greater than the chariots that you are seeing. And greater than the horses that you are seeing. He is the chariot of Israel. So don't worry about these guys. Just open your eyes to see. Let faith arise in your heart. See, your sight can be blinded, but it takes someone who has seen it before. So when Pastor Justin told me they're going to take this building, said we don't know how he's going to do it. I gave him one word. I said to him, you will never struggle to pay for this building. Because I've seen it before. <laughs> I saw it somewhere. So that's the same God he's serving. It's the same God I'm serving. Same father. Same promise. Same word. His faith has just got to rise up. Believe. Open his eyes. Let him see it. Oh, I pray God will open your eyes. To see it. Don't let fear paralyze your sight. Third thing is locations. Locations hinder your sight. Look at the man that was in Bethsaida. And while he was there, he was blind. And so, when Jesus came, he saw this blind man. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, they brought a blind man to him, begged him to touch him. He looked at the blind man, and he took him by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into this town nor tell anyone in the town. You see, there are certain locations that can keep you blind. In fact, so blind, Jesus has to do the job twice. Hmm? Double portion. Now, locations can keep you blind. You have to leave Galilee if you want the heaven to be open. Galilee means circle. You can go around, there was Upper Galilee, there was Lower Galilee. Now you must remember, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was brought up in Nazareth. But he did ministry in Capernaum. Capernaum was actually like Santon. It was a hub of everything, where everything was happened. So most of his miracles took place in Capernaum. Now can you imagine if he said, no, no, I like Bethlehem because it's where I was born. Now, Bethlehem may lead to the birthing, but it may not 
envision the purpose. So it may not be the location. Nazareth may be the place of developing certain traditions and cultures and your family and everyone that you know and your friends and all that you get nostalgic about because you think about all the good times. So when he went to Nazareth, they just see you as uh, Joseph the carpenter's son. Even though you are opening the scriptures and you are explaining it, they are unable to perceive who you are. Because of location. So some locations have historical value. So when, when Jesus came to the well at Samaria, and he was sitting at the well at Samaria, location. The lady who was there, when he asked her for a drink of water, what were her words to him? How is it that you, being a Jew, asked me, a Samaritan woman, for water? He said, listen lady, if you knew who asked you for a drink, now, that means the location blinded her because she was thinking historically, she was thinking politically, she was thinking racially, she was thinking in terms of class, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. So locations can totally blind you. So here's what happens, you live in South Africa, you have a history of apartheid, it's 27 years or however more now, 29 I think, later, but you're still thinking like a colonialist. So locations can blind you. And that blindness doesn't help you to see. This is why we still have black churches, white churches, African churches, European churches. Very few people can break that, that mold because of the way we think. Location. How come a Nigerian, a Ghanaian, a Ghanaian, a Nigerian can go to Europe and plant a church with a gift? Most of the time it's prophecy. And the church will have a multiracial feel because they have not been in our context. Location. Now, don't go too far if you're from Chatsworth. Then you believe there's only one football team in the whole world. <laughs> Liverpool. Phoenix, only one football team in the whole world, Manchester United. Location. So if you ask them about Sundowns, Orlando Pirates, Kaiser Chiefs, they know nothing. But you ask them, right, how much was this player sold last week? Oh, they'll tell you what a bad decision they made buying. <laughs> why they bought that guy, when last he had his medical, when he broke his ankle, how long it took for him to recover from the injury. And the manager didn't think about all that. And now you should be on the advisory panel so that they can tell them what to buy. Location. Now, some people moved from Durban to Johannesburg. Big adjustment. Because Durban, relax. Wear your shorts, tracksuit, t-shirt. 
hang out, go to the beach, life is easy. You know, work if you want to, don't work if you don't want to. <laughs> go fishing. That's how it is. Yeah, targets. Got to meet them. Someone's going to push you. Someone's going to give you. 24 hours a day, you, you got to be moving. Because we, we, got, we got stuff to do here. Are you listening? Big adjustment. And you come with a certain mentality and you are unable to perceive because locations can blind you. So, there are some locations you have to migrate out of because they will keep you blind. They will keep you blind. I remember once, I took two young men from our church to the Beverly Hills Hotel, which is a five-star hotel in our city, and I took them for tea. So I said to them, I want you to sit and just, you know, take in the ambience. Take in like what's going on here. Because this is not Nando's. Okay? This is not Al Samir's, which is my favorite tikka shop in Durban, which I still go to, by the way. This is not the case. And so I, we sat there, we had our tea, and I said, do you know millions of rands are being transacted as you sit here now, which you don't know about. People are sitting in this hotel, and that's what's happening. And you can sit here and you'll tell yourself, I will never afford this. This is beyond my capacity. This is, this is unaffordable. You know, it's something that, that I will only dream about. Or you can say to yourself, I want to change my perspective. Now sometimes you need someone to change your lens. One of those young boys today owns a house in Hillcrest. Because of perspective. Are you listening? So, locations can hinder your sight. It can really cause you to stay blind. There's other locations but we don't have time to go through all of that. But here's one I like. I like this one. You know, there's some things you can see only when you lose your confidence in the flesh. This is, this is what it means. You must call all things down. So Paul had this great CV. Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees, three different nationalities, he was a Roman citizen, he was a Jew, he was Greek citizenship. He had all these citizenships. He was studied under one of the most powerful rabbis. And he had this, you know, accolade behind him. But in Philippians 3, he says, I counted all that as rubbish, just so that I can know him. Now, what had happened on the road to Damascus was a place where Saul at that time was threatening the church, as you know, and he was going to Damascus with letters given to him, giving him the right to go and deal with the church that was growing. He was on a very, very powerful mission in his context. And then he has this encounter with God and he's blinded for three days. Why is he blinded 
for three days because God said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me meaning the church. Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. So when he said you are persecuting me, it means you are persecuting the church. And he, he didn't, when he just heard this voice, and no one else could hear it. Only he could hear it. But they all witnessed, they could see this bright light, and he was blinded for three days. And then a man named Ananias was spoken to by God, came, laid his hands upon him. He said, go and lay your hands on my servant Saul, because I have a very specific mission for him. And Ananias' argument was, God, do you know this guy here? Come on now, this guy here is... Do you know what he's doing to the church? And he was filled with fear. But God said, no, he is my chosen vessel. Now, even Ananias needed perspective. Even though he is the one that's going to lay his hands upon him. So for Saul to stand before kings, to speak to Gentiles with other nations, and to speak to his own brethren who are the Jews, he said, I'm going to send this guy, he's my chosen vessel, he's going to preach the gospel to the nations, he's going to stand before kings, and he's going to preach to the Jews. For him to fulfill that, I want you to go and lay hands on him, and when you do that, certain things are going to happen. And his eyes open. When his eyes open, he counted everything as done. Lost his confidence in the flesh. Eyes was open to the kingdom. Oh, I tell you, if you don't lose your confidence in your business, if you don't lose your confidence in your career, if you don't lose your confidence in the savings you got, your eyes can't get open. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, lean not, lean not on your dung. Lean not on your rubbish. You see, confidence in the flesh, oh, will obliterate your eyesight. Because your eyes will be filled with fleshly things, fleshly desires, worldly things. But you've got to lose your confidence in that. You can't boast in those things. Your boast can only be in God. So, you can trust your job, then COVID comes. You can trust your business, then COVID comes. You can go buy a new house, then the inflation rate rises up. Mortgage rate is going, I don't know what it is now, thank God it didn't rise this week. But, you have got to know that your confidence cannot be in the systems of this world. Your confidence can only be in God your father. That's why when children have a problem, they phone the father first. What does it mean? Confidence is in the father. They know my father will sort it out. My children never phone my wife. Never. Even if they are sick, they can be in the, my daughter sleeps in the room next to her. She can be dead. She will never call her mother. Now, that's not an indictment on Michelle. It's just that they have a certain level of confidence. And listen to me as a servant of the Lord. And I speak to you very humbly. Santan can give you a lot of confidence. You can boast a lot in your wealth. Oh, but I warn you. I warn you. 
Don't ever boast in the confidence in the flesh. God will, will remind you. He will remind you of who he is. Your confidence must be in his word. Your confidence must be in your trust in the Lord. Your faith and your hope must be in him. Pastors, don't put your confidence in banks. Don't even put your confidence in your sons. Don't put your confidence in people that God gave you. No. Hold on to God. Hold on to your father. The flesh will always fail. The arm of flesh will fail you. You cannot put your confidence in that. Don't be have a Nebuchadnezzar syndrome. Look at this beautiful Babylon that I have built. You can walk around your house with pride. Even naked too. And then you'll slip, you'll fall down and you'll say, Oh my God! On the beautiful porcelain tiles that you put there. And then you'll know where your confidence is. Oh, that's a dangerous place. Oh, very dangerous place. We can put our confidence in our cars, in our houses, in our insurance, in our RAs, in our estate, in our trusts, that we put security. But if you want sight, if you really want to see what God can do through you, count it as rubbish. Doesn't mean you must not get it. Oh, don't get me wrong now. All the young people, you say, oh, pastor said that uh, studying is rubbish. You have to be careful here, man. Let me just balance this out, sorry. Some of you may be misinterpreting what I am saying. No, you have to get there. And then, when you get it, you must realize it's not worth it. Get a secular degree. Go and study. Go and see what this world is like. Go and test your faith in this world. But don't put your confidence in it. Don't trust it. You can't build anything with your confidence in the flesh. Those are all the hindrances to your sight. But how do you get the sight? One answer he gave you this morning, breaking of bread. But here's, here's one I want to leave you with. It's called I-self. Ointment. Another word is anointing. Amen? The book of Revelation, let me read the text for you as I close this morning. I have many things to share with you, but at my second coming. <laughs> Revelation 3 verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesight, that you may see. You see, the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit, which is the anointing, He illuminates. Your spirit is a lamp, but the oil is the Holy Spirit. Another one says, the lamp of the body is the eye. I didn't have time to get into that. 
The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, then your body will be full of light. But remember, if your eye is the lamp of the body, it must be an anointed eye. Because if your lamp is the spirit inside of you, it needs oil, which is called the Holy Spirit. You see, we can preach, but I can't open your eyes. It is only the Holy Spirit that will come to anoint your eyes, as he did with Paul or Saul at that time, to remove the scales from your eyes. So, when the Holy Spirit comes with the anointing, the anointing breaks the yoke. And suddenly you can see. So you can't enter what you do not see. But the Holy Spirit comes and ignites your spirit. And you believe. And when you believe, he comes now and he anoints you and then you enter. You have to be born of the spirit. That anointing does something that no human being can do. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and listen, you have to have a yearning, you've got to have a hunger, you've got to have a thirst, you've got to have a passion, you've got to have a desire. There must be an earnestness in your heart for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. And every day I pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, please anoint my eyes that I may see. So the Spirit of God is able to come in and anoint your eyes because he teaches you, he convicts you, but most importantly, he breaks the yoke. So I don't know what yoke you got in your life, but he can break it when he comes and he anoints your eyes. Amen? Amen.